Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Lucky everyone, it's so great to be here tonight and uh, to kick off. Pamela, you're taking the cables with you. In ears. I guess it could also work if you sit there and you have in ears and they just put up my volume in your ears. Then it'll also work. Lucky to be here tonight and to kick off Relationship Month for us. Always a, an exciting time of the year. Um, you know, in Afrikaans it's May month. Money, May month, and I'm near we're focusing on the other one in the relationship now. So what I want to say from the beginning is that if you are for some other reason holding your partner's notebook to take notes on behalf of them, give the book back to them. Because that's our tendency many times when it comes to relationships, is to take notes on behalf of our spouse. Because we can just see, man, the things that they don't see and we can just observe and we obviously know that we are not responsible for most of the messes in our relationship, they obviously are, or is it it just me? I'm the only one that thinks that way. I can say that Robney is in Cape Town, so she's only coming back tomorrow, she doesn't know what I'm saying tonight, so I have a bit of more freedom, obviously just making a joke. But it is true, we we tend to do that as human beings. Uh, Whenever we have an opportunity to be confronted with the reality of our own hearts, or to choose a justification or blame someone else. We would rather choose the justification or blame someone else rather than be confronted with what's going on in our, in our own hearts. And one of the great things for me about relationship months is year after year after year, as we go through this concept of relationships, obviously scripture stays the same. There's not much that changes. And as we go through it, we might see something new here and there or might realize something that we have forgotten. But this is a great opportunity to reflect and to see whether we have started to apply what we know we should have applied already. Because it hasn't changed. It's the same as last year. Like I said, we might speak a bit about different things, but the concept stays the same. And to do introspection in our own hearts to see whether we've actually started to apply those truths or not. I don't know if you remember, but two years back we had a relationship series called Simple But Selfish. Enfoudig maar selfsichtig. With the whole premise being that relationships are not breaking down and falling apart because it's too difficult to comprehend. When it comes to the biblical picture about what a relationship is, how a marriage should work, it's a fairly simple concept. It's easy to understand. But it's very difficult to apply. Why? Because we literally have to die to self. It's like the English saying, you know, they are to die for. Well, I hope they really are to die for because that's literally what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to die to self. And we said, it's so simple, but why does it break down? Because of our selfishness. There's not a single problem in a relationship, not a single fight, not a single issue, not a single case of disunity that cannot be traced back to someone's selfishness, either one party or both. I mean, go and think about that. The difficulties that you have had, maybe are having at the present moment, some of the disunity in your marriage or relationships, 
See if you can find one that doesn't have selfishness mixed in there. It's impossible. Selfishness at the heart of it all. And the same is true as we're going to go through some of these topics as well. So take note, reflect on your own heart, be confronted with the reality of your own heart and the selfishness that's many times there, and allow God to come and work with that so that we can do what we are supposed to do instead of going home and say, yeah, you know what he said? That you're doing that now. Kijk dat doen jy dit. It's exactly what he said you shouldn't do. Not to do that, but to focus on ourselves and to take note for ourselves so that we can be who we need to be. Why? Because Jesus is who he is. And that gives us the ability to be what he has called us to be. Because the one we draw our sustenance from is unchanging. He's not going to not do his part. So we can do ours. Amen? And tonight we're going to talk about a lovely topic, covenant intimacy. We're going to speak about intimacy and a great part of it is sexual intimacy, which is obviously part of intimacy. Um, I don't see any kids really here tonight. And I just, as I wanted to say this morning as well, many times when we speak about sex specifically and there's teenagers or stuff, people want to say, okay, no, you know, they need to go somewhere else. But the devil is not going to wait until they're 20, so we shouldn't either. Amen. He's busy feeding them information, so it's our responsibility to teach them the truth. And many times in our Western culture and society, we don't know how to do that, the uncomfortable topics. Many times because we don't understand it ourselves. And specifically the Afrikaners, I don't know if the English do that as well. But they have this thing where if, if we don't know how to explain something, but it's not what they should be doing now, like they're not at the appropriate age, we just say, no, it's wrong and it's bad, stay away. See, devil's a good eye. I don't know if the English do that as well. And I always thought as a child, you know, why do they have the devil stuff? Like a lighter, for instance, when the little children wants to play with the lighters or stuff, they say, no, leave that, it's the devil so good. And I'm like wondering, was I he? Like, does he come to visit when we're sleeping or something? Why is his stuff here? And you're kind of wondering how that works. But many times, specifically with sex, the same approach is taken. Yes, he's gach, no, it's a bad thing. Don't do that, don't look at that, don't, none, none of that. And the greatest thing that we see is kind of a struggle for many people when it comes to marriage prep and enrichment, when people actually get married, is to say, now, hey, now you should just realize that in one day it should turn from that bad thing to a holy thing. How on earth? Our whole lives we were taught that this is this kind of bad thing that you shouldn't do and shouldn't focus on, shouldn't understand, and one day all of a sudden it's holy. It's of God. And so it's very important that it doesn't matter the age you are, doesn't matter if you're married or not, in a relationship or not, it's something that we should understand and we're going to look at that tonight. Speak about intimacy. And for those of us that are married, I want to ask the question to begin with, how is it going with your intimacy? How is it going with your intimacy? Quickly answer that question for yourself. If you're single, hopefully you don't have an answer yet. But for the singles, how's it going with your sexual purity? How's it going with your sexual purity? Single meaning not married. How's it going? And an interesting thing, maybe for the married couples here tonight, would be to go and speak about it later, to tell one another what your answer was. I don't know if you've ever spoken about it, how often do you speak about it? Do you actually know what the other people, the other person thinks? How are we doing? Many times, you know, you kind of get 
different answers. Are we married to the same people? The one says, no, seven out of ten. The other one says, three. And you're like, huh? What's going on here? But many times it works like that. Same with uh, marriage prep and enrichment, you know, in the end of the month. Also just to state maybe on that note, you don't take your car for a service if it's broken. Nee? That doesn't make sense. You take it so that it doesn't break. Same so with relationships. You, didn't, you don't need to have a problem to go. So we check the oil to ensure that the thing runs smoothly. And many times it's actually when we go for the service, when you get your car back, they say, hey, you maybe didn't notice, but your brakes are finished. You were actually headed for a collision if you didn't have that checked. And many times the same is true with the relationships. And I know for some of us, you know, specifically this morning, I could see some faces like, yeah, I don't know if I want to start that conversation. We might have some problems. I'm not aware of them, but luckily she isn't either. So if we don't talk, it's going to go smoothly at least for another while. But sometimes when we start talking, we figure out, hey, not everything is as I think it is. There's actually some problems. And maybe specifically with intimacy as well. If you've ever chatted about intimacy and it always turns out in a fight, why? It's because somewhere someone's not understanding it as they should. It's a misconception somewhere. We need to figure out what it is. And maybe for it's a different area of your relationship. But whenever we speak about that thing, it always seems to stir up trouble. Something's unhealthy, then we need to go and check that out. Amen? Okay, now the second question. Whether you said your intimacy is going well at the moment or it's not going that well, why? Why would you say so? Based upon what? What gives you the indication that it's going good or bad? <coughs> For the singles as well, sexual purity, why is it good, why is it bad? Obviously when it's bad we know many times why. But sometimes we don't always know why it's going well. But why, why do you base that upon? Many times we try to kind of look at numbers many times. Well, we do it often, so I think it might be going well. We don't do it that often, so I don't know if it's going that well. But it's not the only thing that it should be based upon. You know the interesting thing about Scripture when it comes to intimacy in 1 Corinthians 7, it speaks about intimacy. And there's this verse, I don't know if even most people know where it is, but they know of it. The men usually use it. It's one that says, you know, that the woman should not withhold sex from the husband. It's not really what it says. It says that both parties don't have authority over their own bodies, but it belongs to the other, and both should not withhold it from the other. It's a mutual giving of one another to the other. That's what it actually says. And interesting in that passage of Scripture, it says that when you are not intimate, then it should be because you have agreed upon that. Isn't that interesting? So Scripture assumes that intimacy is going to happen regularly, and it's not going to happen if you've arranged it before. And many times in relationships today we see it the other way around. Intimacy only happens when we've arranged it beforehand. We kind of had to set the date night, otherwise it doesn't happen. And scripture says there's something wrong there. There's not an outflow that should actually be there that's healthy. It should happen regularly. And it says only if you arrange to be more devoted to prayer, maybe you can spend less time being intimate with one another, but come together again soon afterwards so that you're not tempted because of your lack of self-control. Come together again soon. So it assumes that it's going to happen regularly. But what does regularly mean? I think the men might have a number and the ladies might have a different number. Who knows? 
But like Werner used to say, he always jokingly said, more than twice a day is not healthy, less than twice a week is also not healthy. Gives us more or less of an indication of what regularly means. But why is it healthy? Why is it unhealthy? Maybe a different question also to answer. Why is sex there? Why is intimacy there? What does it mean? What does it point to? What is it supposed to do? Many times people also believe that it's only for having children. 1 Corinthians 7 obviously disagrees with that. You're also allowed to enjoy it. But why is it there? What does it mean? What, what is the outflow of? And maybe a question to end of as well. What's the difference between love and lust, specifically when it comes to sex? You see, we kind of understand it when we're not thinking about intimacy. We know that love means the act of giving and serving of another. That I love them so much that I want to lay down the, my life for them. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus modeled. We know that's what it means. And lust means greed. I want to receive. I want to see what I can get here. But many times we kind of think that sex in a relationship is the one part where we're allowed to do that. It's okay if I want to get there. And scripture says, no, even that should be based on love. Like 1 Corinthians 7 says, the giving of yourself to another. That's what it's supposed to mean. But with those things in mind, remember your answers and let's see what we can learn from the first relationship, Genesis 2, when everything was as it should be. I'm going to read from verse 18 to 25. And it says the following, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And very interesting, this passage, we should just note this, that this is before sin enters into the world. God knew what he was busy doing. He knew it's not good for man to be alone. He could have created them together from the very first day, but he wants us to learn something here. He wants us to see something here. That's why he does it in this specific way, that we can see. And also for the men here, what does man come to realize when he is without sin? He needs help. So whenever you think you don't need help, that's because of sin, okay? Because when everything was as it should have been, before sin entered, we knew we need help. And then it goes on to say, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. I always read a little bit of humor in there. I don't know if you see it as well. But I think God was like, come on, cake. Let's see. Let's, let's just before we make Eve, just give the guy one job on his own. And let's see what he comes up with. And the conclusion was, Still needed help. The man gave names to all living, to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought it to the man. Now ladies, hold on to your chairs. Some, rom so rom some romantic stuff coming here. The guy being a bit poetic. Let's see what he does. The first poem ever written, song sung to a beautiful lady. It goes like this. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Not analytical at all. Very poetic, very emotional, beautiful. Obviously just making a joke. It had a little, little bit more depth then in the original language as we see there. But nonetheless, 
we, we seem to have struggled even before sin with the romantic part. But nonetheless, it we go on to read. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Beautiful passage of Scripture. A lot of things that we can focus on, but like I said, specifically want to focus on intimacy tonight. So actually just want to focus on those last two verses, verse 24 and verse 25. And while there's a lot of stuff that this scripture speaks about, it also gives us the prerequisite for intimacy. It gives us what intimacy should be and where it should be. And what is the prerequisite? It's one man and one woman out of a covenant relationship with God in covenant relationship with one another. One man and one woman out of a covenant relationship with God in a covenant relationship with one another. In modern day English, two Christians, one a man, one a woman in a marriage with one another. That is what it means. Man and wife that first know God, then know one another. See, it's one of the beautiful things of this story. Adam and Eve first knew God. The first thing Adam saw when he opened up his eyes was God, the one that created him. And he realized why he was created. And then Adam slept. And then God made Eve. And he first knew Eve. And first Eve knew God. And then God brought them together. Out of a relationship with God flows a relationship with one another properly and as it should look like. Very beautiful. And now we will also see that sex outside of marriage literally means the opposite, literally stands for the opposite of what it actually means in marriage. It's not the same thing out of place, it's a completely different thing. It means something completely different, it stands for something completely different. And for us to understand that, we have to understand what it means. What does sex mean? Why is it there? What does it symbolize? And it's so beautifully in, in the English, I don't know if there's an, actually an Afrikaans word for it, but consummate, is there an Afrikaans word for it? I think like the, the best translation it will give you is like full toy, to complete, to make something complete. It's the full toy. But the consummation of marriage, meaning that the act that brings it all together, that completes the whole thing, is intimacy is the sexual relationships that happens at the end of the ceremony. And it symbolizes what just took place. It can be seen as a sacrament. Now hear me tonight, I'm saying as a sacrament. I'm not saying it is a sacrament. I'm saying it can work like a sacrament. What is sacrament? It's communion and it's baptism. And both of them do what? It points back to a deeper spiritual reality that just took place. And in the same way, sex is kind of a thing that points back to what we've already done with all of our lives in the relationship. And that is what? What does it illustrate? What does it symbolize? The purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? What is it that we are supposed to illustrate in marriage? Now, hopefully, if you're married tonight, you know that answer. Well, what are we doing? What are we showing to the world? What are we representing? What are we illustrating? What is the purpose? Now, there's a lot of secondary purposes. One of them is to have children. I don't know if you knew that. To raise them up in a godly way. Malachi 2 verse 15, I think. 
For what reason did God make man and wife one? So that there can be godly offspring that follows him. It's for building community. It's for sanctification. It's for fellowship. It's for physical needs. A lot of secondary needs. But what's the primary purpose? To illustrate what? To resemble what? Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. The relationship between Christ and his church. It's the primary purpose. When we read through that passage, we read all over the passage like, 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 like. In other words, it's reflecting something. It's an illustration of something. And that something is Christ and the church and the relationship between that. And it can be basically summed up as a mutual laying down of our lives for one another, a dying to self for the other. Scripture says, men, lay down your life for your wife like Christ laid down his life for the church. I laid down my life for you. And we misunderstand it in today's context. No, I'm the head of the house. I'm the king. I'm the one that should be served. Christ was dead and he was the king and he was the one that came to serve. I did not come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. When there was a washing of feet, he was the one with the towel around his waist. He was the one serving. And every area of aspect in, of marriage should reflect that, even intimacy. And then for the wife, wives submit to your own husbands as the church submits to Christ. Or like the church submits to Christ. What is the call of a disciple? Lay down your life. Take up your cross. Follow me. Die to self and serve God. A mutual laying down of self and a serving of one another. A completely giving of all of myself to you. That is what we say when we are intimate with one another. I want to say anew that I give all of myself to you exclusively. Isn't that beautiful? A renewing of me giving myself, not of me taking what you have to offer. You see, the day we got married, we didn't gain a husband or wife. We gave ourselves to a husband or a wife. It's a giving. It's not a receiving. The same is true for intimacy. And that is why it literally means the opposite outside of marriage. We read in Hebrews 13 verse 4 and it says the following. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let intimacy be undefiled. How, we, how do we defile that? Sexually immoral and adultery. Adultery is when you are married and you have sex with someone that is not your spouse. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage. Cohabitation is a part of that. You see, we many times think words mean what they mean today. No. Text is a conveyor of meaning, but the author is the intender of the meaning. So the person that wrote those words, sexual immorality, we need to know what he thought when he wrote those words. And for us to know that, we need to go back into time into the mind of the first century Jews. Sexual immorality. Any sexual activity outside of marriage and cohabitation. All forms part of that. And scripture says that defiles the marriage bed. Why? Because it's the opposite of what it's supposed to mean. It's not a giving of self. It's not a recommitment because there was no commitment. Sex outside of marriage says the following. I want all that you have to give me, but I'm not willing to commit myself back to you. I want to take. I don't want to commit. 
I want all that you have to offer, but I'm unwilling to commit myself back to you. Sex outside of marriage. Why? Because if there was a commitment, there would have been a marriage. That's the commitment. Difficult, but true. And we might say, no, no, okay, but what if we both agree that that's what we want to do? Then both are selfish. And both want to receive, and both are destructive. And it's still sin, even though it's mutual. Because we don't want to commit, and we don't want to commit in God's ways. Lord, we want to receive, but we don't want to commit. Derek Prince says the following, he says, sex outside of marriage is stealing from God because we want the pleasure but we're unwilling to pay the price. Hard words, but true words. I want the pleasure but I'm unwilling to pay the price. I'm not going to die to self. I'm unwilling to lay down my life to receive that. I just want to take it. And I have the option of going somewhere else if I need to. And it's interesting how the enemy has sold us the lie the other way around. We watch modern rom-coms and we see movies on TV and what happens when there needs to be a greater commitment in the relationship? Sex. It's a greater commitment. And then when there's a greater commitment, it's what? Here's the key to my apartment. Oh, it's getting serious. There's some commitment now. Scripture says, no, it's not a commitment. It's just a longer test drive want to see more of what this guy has to offer, but we still want the option of buying another one if this one doesn't drive well. You're with me. It's what it means. It's not what God intended for it to be. Like the English say, put your money where your mouth is. If you say, no, we are really committed, then get married. It's what it's there for. Otherwise, don't do it. Otherwise, you are just seeing how much you can get and if this really suits your need with leaving the back door open so that we can leave when we want because there's not been a formal commitment yet. It's not been official. It's a hard truth, but a truth nonetheless. And many times we say, you know, but there needs to be some, you know, sexual expression at least every now and again for me to be happy. Then it's because your relationship with God has been either non-existent from the beginning or it's broken down. When you want to define, again, like we said a couple of weeks back, one of the definitions of sin is trying to fill a legitimate need by illegitimate means. And again, we are back to that same place, trying to fill a legitimate need. There is a void, and we're going to take a look at that in a moment, but we're trying to fill it in the wrong way. It's not how it's supposed to be. Another form of that also is pornography. Pornography and masturbation, and many times we say, no, but you know, this isn't so bad. And I'm going to tell us in a moment just why it is. But that is so selfish that there's not even someone else present. I can want it exactly the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. And the problem is, there's a couple of problems with it. And the first one is that the thing that God designed for us to give ourselves to someone else, we are teaching ourselves that that is for me to get what I want. And we are drilling in that to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says that the one that's sexually immoral commits sin against his own body. Meaning you're breaking down and destroying something that you might even be unaware of. And we are teaching ourselves that this area where God has actually designed for us to give ourselves to someone else is actually there for me to get what I actually want. And then we approach marriage in exactly 
the same way. And we put an unbelievable demand on our spouse to be something which they are not and to give us something that they cannot. There's a lot of people so frustrated with their husband or their wives because they're not fulfilling the need and they weren't supposed to. And the need that they are supposed to fulfill, we're going to look at that in a moment, isn't in the way that you think. It's not sexual primarily. It's spiritual and it's, inter- it's emotional and we're going to get to that in a moment. But that's the actual need. So that's the one danger. Pornography and masturbation. That we are teaching ourselves that the area that we are supposed to serve someone else is actually an area where we need to get what we want. And then it causes both men and women. Men used to be more addicted to pornography, but the women seem to be catching up according to statistics. But they also say that men many times look at pornography while women read pornography. Romantic novels and stuff like that. That also gives them some kind of weird idea about what relationships should look like. And we expect that. We then want that. We don't want to serve the person that we are with. We want them to give us what we saw, what we've read. And there's an unrealistic expectation about how we should look and how we should act because of those things. And it's breaking down what God caused actually to be beautiful. And even when we are there, not even do we not serve the other person with who we really are, but we're not even expecting them to be who they are. They should live up to some kind of fantasy or thing. So they should also pretend in the story. And many times we can do exactly the same thing, even in marriage. Well, we want to receive and not give because we have mistaken the need that we actually have. It's because our relationship with God has broken down. And we'll see that many times. Many people have this idea that they need the sexual thing and they go and they get the sexual pleasure, but they're still not fulfilled. There's still an emptiness. You know, it's like Donnie said a couple of weeks ago. It's like we, we are really thirsty and then we eat a hamburger. And something kind of gets full, but it's not the thing that we actually wanted to. When we mistake the need for something else. And we do that in marriage as well. We read it here in Genesis 24 verse 25, or, or how we actually do it. And it says the following, like we read in the beginning, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the consummation of the marriage. That is intimacy, speaking about what Scripture is speaking about. And, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Meaning these things go together. When the one is not there, the other one isn't what it's supposed to be. It's like with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've taught you and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. If one of those things are not there, it's incomplete. It's not what it should be. It won't work. The presence of Christ sustains the commission. And we need to go. We need to be intentional and we need to make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them what Christ told us. Then it's holistic. Then it's what it should be. And in the same way, if verse 24 is there, the becoming one, the intimacy without verse 25, it's not what it should be. Be naked and not ashamed. And that word naked doesn't only speak about physical nakedness. It speaks about nakedness in every area and aspect of life. Complete honesty, vulnerability and transparency in all areas of life. The root word of the Hebrew word there can also mean poured out. So beautiful for me. 
all that I am, everything in every area I poured out for the one that I'm in a relationship with. And you see, the physical intimacy that we have should point to the other areas of intimacy that we also share. All of my life I've poured out before you. I've shared anything with you. Scripture uses the word know when it speaks about two people having sex. And Adam knew his wife. And Jacob knew Rachel. And before Mary knew Joseph, she was found to be with child. To know one another. And the interesting thing is that there's a lot of people that have been married for so long and they've been living together so long, yet they don't truly know one another. Physically, yes, and their bodies, yes, but emotionally and spiritually, not at all. We don't know one another. We don't speak about those things. I can't remember when was the last time I told my husband or my wife what I struggled with, what I'm afraid for, what I'm dreaming or hoping for, what God is saying to me at the moment. When we pray together, there's none of that. And then we wonder why we have sex and it feels so shallow and everybody speaks about it should be this deep and meaningful thing where body, spirit and soul come together. It sounds wonderful, but that's not what I'm experiencing. And it feels shallow because it points to a relationship that is shallow. There is no intimacy in the other areas of life. No true meaning. And yes, all the ladies might think men struggle more with this, huh? And yes, it is true. Men do often struggle more with this. Struggle more to really communicate and to really be transparent, to really be vulnerable, to really be naked in all ed- other areas of life. So this is who I am completely. And because we don't do that, we mistake that need for a sexual one, but that is not what it is. The need is actually to be fully known and fully loved by the person that we are in relationship with. And because that is not there, we mistake it for the sexual one and it leaves us thirsty. Doesn't satisfy, doesn't fulfill. It's a legitimate need, but it's not the right means to fulfill that need. And while men struggle with that and they kind of you know, want to use the, the woman to get that sexual need that they think will fulfill the void, women do it differently. They're more aware of the emotional need that they have, but they many times seek other things and also to be in control. And they also don't use sex to serve, but to be served. How? But to get what they want from the husband, and they use it as manipulation. And we many times don't say it out loud or say it explicitly, if you, then I will. But you make it very clear to the husband that if you're happy, you'll keep him happy. And if you smile, then he's going to smile. It's the same thing, using intimacy to be served instead of using it to serve, reflecting what we've done with the rest of our relationship, the inevitable outflow of people really knowing one another and really being intimate in all areas of life. And when that is there, then it looks like it should. And the answer for both is exactly the same. It's the gospel. Because that was what was broken down and that is how it's fixed again. Here's the problem, Genesis 3, verse 7 to 10. I actually love what the Afrikaans version says there in Genesis 2, 25. It says, but. The man and his wife were both, were both naked, but they were not ashamed. In other words, contrast. The guy writing is like, it's not that way anymore. 
writing after the fall, after sin entered into the world, but they were not ashamed. It's not so anymore. It's a contrast. It looks different now. We see it here in Genesis 3. After they ate of the fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Immediately when sin entered, we cover up. We hide away. We are not naked anymore. Not just physical, but in every aspect of life. Emotional, spiritual, intellectual. We hide away. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. There's the problem. There's the thing that was broken down. That's why we have a need. And it's not fulfilled by something else. It's to restore that. To be completely open and honest with God primarily and then secondly with those that we are in relationships with. You see, because something that we forget specifically because we have this distorted view about sex many times and many times people say, you know, invite God into your intimacy and all of that and it just feels so wrong because the desires that you have there are so wrong. You know, it's not what you should do there. You know, it's not what you should be desiring there and it's difficult to invite God in. And we have this picture of the man and his wife both being naked and feeling no shame. But there was a third person there as well. The one that brought them together. It's God. Uncomfortable picture for some of us. Just thinking about it. But we need to be transparent before God first and then before one another. That fulfills the need. That fulfills the need. We seek for it in the wrong way. Example of this is John 4. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. But Jesus going to her and he says, you know, give me a drink. And long after a long debate, Jesus actually tells her, if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never be thirsty again. There's a desire, there's a longing, and you're trying to fill it the wrong way. And she says, give me of this water that I might drink it. And what does Jesus say in response? Go call your husband. Go call your husband. He says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, you are right in saying that you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. That's why you remain thirsty. You're trying to fill the void in the wrong way. And we many times do the same. We first need to go to God to fill the void so that we can give and serve instead of wanting something that they cannot give. It's like two trees being plucked out of the ground and being plucked into one another and some other reason we think both are going to bear fruit. It doesn't work that way. We don't find life in one another. We need to find it in God first. And for the singles, we should understand that. Then when the need is there, when the pornography, when the masturbation, when that addictions are there, marriage is not going to solve it. The only thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up being very critical to the one person that you actually love because they are not giving you what you need and it's because they cannot. It's not going to fill the void. It doesn't work that way. It's not what you need. It's found somewhere else. In 1 John 1, the writer writes, he writes to the church and says, we are writing to you so that your joy may be full. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Walk in the light. 
that your joy may be full. Walk in the light. Come out of the bushes. Take off the leaves. Walk in the light. Man, and it's so freeing. Many of us in our relationship with God and with others are constantly worrying if the leaves are covering everything that I hope it covers. What if they know? Am I deep enough in the bushes? Are they going to see? Are they going to find out? And every time someone phones you from church or small group or whatever, you're like, Allah hate me. They have me. They know. God said. Yeah, it's now. And then they just actually want to know if you're coming to small group or if they're also going to see you at whatever. But constantly this thing of covering up. And man, I just hope that they don't find out. And it's tiring. Come out of the bushes. Take off the leaves. Be real before God. Be real before one another. That's the gospel. Jesus that knows. That's what happened to the woman at the well. I know. I know. And she's like, and you're still offering me the water. Still offering me eternal life, even though he knows. That is where the liberation comes. That's where the joy comes. That's where the need is fulfilled. Timothy Keller says it in the following way, and I end off us with this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. And for a lot of us, that's the relationships that we're in. We kind of accept it, and there's intimacy and all of that, but it's very superficial. They don't really know who I am, the things that I think, and the things that I desire. No, I shouldn't desire them, but I'm still not going to tell them. What if they reject me? But it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Man, if I tell them and they reject me, that's going to be rough. But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God. That's the gospel. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Invitation, come out of the bushes, take off the leaves. Because God already knows. He sees through the bushes. He sees through the leaves. Other people don't, but God does. And that's why John also says, 1 John, what does the love of God do? Drives away all fear. Delivers us from that pretense. Man, if I'm really accepted before God and He really knows who I am, what does it matter what other people think? And it liberates us and we can live in that freedom. And it's there where we experience deep joy. We think it's going to be weird if they really know. Scripture says it's going to be joyful when they really know. And a lot of us are kind of maybe having that debate even now at the moment. Yo, but if I tell them, I don't know if it's going to fly. Don't know how that's going to work. I can't see how that's going to bring us closer together. And Scripture says God is a little bit smarter than us. Trust Him. He knows. And you're experiencing at the moment. There might be physical intimacy or whatever, but He doesn't do this. It doesn't bring us close. Why? Because it's reflecting Something that isn't this. No intimacy. We need to do that. For relationships, for us that are married, we need to know that intimacy is only going to feel as deep as the relationship that is busy reflecting at the moment. And even there, we are supposed to give and not to receive. And when we want, it's because we have mistaken the need for something else. It's because we are not open and honest before God and we are not open and honest before one another. And if that is there, the need will be filled and we'll have the ability to serve the other. And man, is it a nice area to serve someone else. That is your wife. Just make that clear there. 
But that is a great area to serve. It's a lot nicer than making sandwiches. But let us serve there. And for those who are not married, a relationship is not going to fill that need. And doing it outside of marriage is going to mean the opposite. We are going to teach ourselves not to serve but to receive. And we're going to try to fill a need with something that was not meant to fill it. Let's stand tonight. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you tonight, Father, and say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your thankfulness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I pray for every heart, Lord, bounding, Father, beating fast. There might be some of us, Lord, that's busy defiling, Lord, the marriage bed. Sexual immorality, Father. Sexual acts outside of marriage, whether we are the only person there or whether there's someone else there, doesn't matter. Maybe some, Lord, longing for someone that's not their spouse. Maybe some of us, Lord, realizing, Father, that the area that you've called us to serve, we are viewing it as something to receive, Lord. And I want, and I've actually become critical because they are not performing as I want them to. It's leaving me empty. And wherever you are tonight in one of those areas, just there where you stand, won't you lift your voice to God? If it's immorality, say, Lord, I'm turning away, I'm repenting, Lord. I'm tired of sinning against my own body. I'm tired of believing the lie that it's going to sustain, it's going to fulfill, and it just leaves me thirsty again and again. And for many, even more so. Whether it's seeing it as an area to get and not to give, just there we are. Repent of that and turn to God. Lord, come and fall. Jesus, help. Come and fulfill me, Lord. And for those of us standing here tonight thinking, yeah, it feels shallow. I know that our intimacy is not what it should be because in the other areas of the relationships, I am not intimate at all. I hide away. There's a lot of leaves. I'm deep in the bush. And the things that you need to maybe tell your husband or wife, it's there. It's in the front of your mind. Your heart is beating quick. And you're thinking, man, how are we even going to start? Just start. Start tonight. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. The things that I've had to tell my wife and the things that we've had to speak about, the only regret I have is not doing it sooner. It's not doing it sooner. Don't wait. Allow God to come and bring you together, to come and form unity. Allow Him to come and restore, to come and bind up and heal. And that when the expression is there, it points to something that's deep. And we experience it in that way. Some of us maybe have to go to our husband and wife and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't served you, but I've actually been a consumer in this area. I want to repent of that. Help me, help me with it. This may be some of the desires I have and I know I shouldn't have, 
something that's maybe affected by stuff we've watched or done even before marriage. But allow God to come and do that work. Don't wait. Be real, be open, be honest. For those who are single, maybe you've always wondered, why do I keep doing this? Why do I struggle with it? Why can't I seem to break free? Well, I hope now that you know that you've mistaken the means to fulfill that need. It's not how you fulfill that. It's by going to God, being open and vulnerable, not only with Him, but also with those around you. We were not called to cover ourselves. When we go stand before God, He's the one that covers. And we thank You for that, Lord. I pray, Father, for each and every person, Lord, experiencing immense amount of shame, Lord, at this moment. Guilt and regret, Lord. Think that I understand that God will maybe forgive others and He'll heal and work with them, but sure, one too many times maybe for me. God went to the woman at the well. She didn't even have to go to Him. He sought out. He knew you had five and the one you're with now is not your husband. And he's still offering the water to drink. Doesn't matter how condemned and guilty you feel tonight. The offer stands. Come and drink of the water. Take freely for all who are thirsty. But for that to happen, you're going to have to take off the leaves and come out of the bushes. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm afraid. And this is why I'm afraid. Lay down at his feet and allow him to come and heal. To come and move. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing tonight in hearts, Father. Thank you for restoration, Lord. And thank you for grace, Lord. I pray, Father, for each and every difficult conversation, Lord, that's going to be had over the next couple of weeks, Lord, next couple of hours even. And I pray for grace, Lord. And for those speaking, Lord, and for some hearing the information, Father, may we know, Lord, it doesn't matter which one in the relationship we are, Father, that when it comes to our relationship with you, we are the one in need of grace. We are the one in need of constant forgiveness. We are the one in need of constant mercy. And you give constant grace, constant forgiveness, constant mercy. And we can do the same. I pray for grace, Lord, to be extended as people speak, Lord. For forgiveness to flow freely, Lord. And for mercy to abound. As you come, Lord, and draw people closer together than we've ever been before. And thank you, Father, for some people experiencing, Lord, true intimacy, covenant intimacy for the very first time. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness with us, Lord. And thank you that you enable us in Jesus' name. Amen.